All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klepa, and man, do we have a great episode in store for us today with none other than Chris Hinshaw. Chris and I have known each other for over a decade. We've gone through a lot together. We share a bunch of stories on this episode. We love riffing back and forth anytime that I get him on the podcast. I just really enjoy our conversations. He has a lot of knowledge to offer, which obviously we dive into, but he also has a lot of entertainment to provide. In particular, he tells a story about his final professional uh, triathlon in Brazil. You got to listen to this podcast and listen to that story. You're going to be laughing so hard. I know I was. I hope you're in the gym training hard. I hope you're on a road trip. I hope you're doing something because this episode is going to keep you engaged and get you fired up. So without any further ado, if you like this episode, make sure you rate it, review it, share it with a friend. would really appreciate that. And let's dive into an amazing episode with Mr. Chris Hinshaw. Let's go. Uh, you and I have been... Uh, chatting for a while but i think the best place to start is this idea that you want to maybe 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 compete in master worlds running so what track does that mean field. track and field I, I i don't i don't you know today or <laughs> yesterday i was doing a podcast with a guy who was like a world record holder in kettlebell um competitions do you know that they're 10 minutes long did you know that no so that <laughs> the kettlebell competitions are 10 minutes long with 232 pood kettlebells and they go for 10 minutes unbroken could you imagine that doing clean and jerks this guy was telling me I, wait I how, how many poot you said 32 32 poot like 70 pounds oh 70 pounds 70 pounds so, oh two oh, of them two two poots two yeah. two poots yeah for for 10 minutes straight non-stop wow wow and, anyways i gotta look it up but anyways wow anyway. so tell me more about this event no so what's interesting was is that i fell into the trap that most older athletes fall into and that is i underestimated my level of conditioning. I thought I wasn't that good. And that was my perception of myself. And I, you, know, you mean like right now, not back in the day? No, not back in the day. Like as you age, you know, life somehow beats you down and, and you underestimate yourself in and, mm. and many levels. And in, in this, this world of fitness, especially the world of running, I always reflect back on back in the day. And as I age, so I'm 58 years old, I can't do what I once did. I still feel good, but I just can't run a 428 mile. I can't do it. Well, during COVID, I started, you know, running again. And um, it was very cathartic for me. And, and I got into a routine, a good routine. Um, and I would think about my workouts. I would use my knowledge that I have, you know, in the space. And I was doing the right thing. Well... I have a good relationship with Adidas out of out of Germany and and um, uh, Heidi, my Heidi. Yeah. Uh, she read that a world record was just sent and created in a uh, the half marathon in in Prague uh, by a woman, and she wore this brand new Adidas shoe. So Heidi knows the same people I do at Adidas, and she just wrote a note and struck up a conversation and said, "Hey, can you maybe like send a pair of those for me and Chris?" Yeah. We'll test them out for you. Right. So I, uh, you know, as a fan of the brand, what I would always do is like, I would get a new pair of shoes and do a write-up on it. Well, these shoes came and, and what made them unique was they have a very, very high sole. Very high. Almost like those Skechers. Do you remember when those yes. Skechers came out for exactly. like firm up your butt or whatever it was? Yep. <laughs> and you saw them, all the older women walking yeah. in the mall in them. Yeah. So that's what I thought of when I, I saw it. I actually think they got sued about that because they used it as a marketing ploy, like firm up your butt. Right. Anyways. Yep. yep. It, that, so that's what I thought when they came and I'm like, I'm not doing it. I, it's, I'm not doing it. Like, especially in middle America, it's like, I'm not going to run the neighborhood in those. There's no way. But the reason why they were tall was they stuck these carbon fiber rods that were like the, the diameter of a pencil and the rods sat in the, the front of the shoe and they lined up with the metatarsal bones of, of the toes. And so when you would toe off, it would preload those carbon fiber rods and as you let go and started the swing phase of your stride, it literally would propel you forward. That was the whole concept. And so I'm like... At what point though does that become like... I don't, what, are there any rules and regulations on that? I'm just curious. Cause at no. what point does that become like a propellant? Right. Like, like an unfair event. So it, the, the rules that are written is based upon the height of the sole. You can't go, I think it's above 40 millimeters in height. So that was the regulation. So these were legal shoes. 
like like Kipchoge when he ran like he was doing for Nike something similar uh, where they had almost like a, it was like a, a triangular piece uh, that didn't have one of the segments. And so the point of the triangle sat at the toe of the shoe and you would land and it would oh, preload. It almost like a, it almost like it creates a spring. Him. Yes, 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 yes. So Adidas came out with something different. Well, three weeks go by and these shoes are still in the box and Heidi's like, you got to go wear them. And I'm like, Phew. all right, I'll do it. So I just did a five mile run on it. And I, okay, so I have, companies come out with stuff and they say, oh, this is latest and greatest. And it's just a bunch of hocus pocus. And so as you age, you realize like, you know what, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and you become biased in, in hearing that. It's like, or I, okay. jaded. Yeah. You become right. jaded, right? right. You're just like, right. oh yeah, another sure. shoe, another this, another right. that. Yeah. Right. This is the next greatest fabric and blah, blah, blah. Right. I have never, ever had a product that, that made me want to run fast. And I'm not talking about makes you want to run. I'm talking about makes you want to run fast. Like the whole time, I just want to go. So I do this five-mile run, and I'm like, I want to run fast. <laughs> like Forrest Gump? I did. Like yeah. that's what I was thinking. And yeah. so I knew of a loop that I created that was 800 meters. And I'm like, I'm going to go do an 800 for time. Who does this? This is just spur of the moment. And 800 is the worst event oh, that you could dude. do, right? The 800 is terrible. Remember how you ran oh. the 800 with me? Remember oh. when you ran like two the six? Ten? Yeah, it was like. Oh, with you or the 10 of them? Remember? No, you did the 10 by 800, but early on we did an 800 for time and, and we ran together. You were like 216. I mean, you were fat. You're an anomaly. And that was the last time I ran an 800. It was with you like <laughs> nine years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I run this 800 and I look at my watch afterwards and I run a 239. And I'm like, I, part of it is, is like, as you age, you're like, that's not that fast for back in the day, but I wonder if that's actually fast for like someone Like your old. age group, your, yeah, everything. Right, yeah. like I didn't know. Yeah. So I start looking into Masters Nationals back in, you know, US, and then I look at Masters Worlds oh, in 2019, man. and I'm like, third place was a 516 in the mile? I think I could lose 15 pounds and hit 520 based upon that time. Yeah. And so that's when I started like getting inspired. And if I never put those shoes on, I never would have run that 800 and I never would have looked up those, those potential times. And it made me realize I was better than I thought I was. And that was the catalyst that said, you know what? I think that, you know, when I turn 60, if I could stay healthy, it would be a good goal. Dude, that's so cool. You know what I love about it is like uh, in running, in Olympic lifting, it's so quantifiable, right? It's like, hey, this dude hit a four-minute yep. mile, whatever it was. And, you know, if you, could, if you could think you could be in that ballpark and then you could actually train and perform on the day of the event, of yep. course, you got right. to show up. Right. Um, but, I mean, dude, you have legitimate potential to do it. And I think people would be really interested in your journey, too. I know I would. Like, I would love to see that because when we first met, you know, you had a lot of credit with me because of your coaching capabilities. And when we were on the track, you would always kick my ass, which sucked, right? You'd be running backwards and still be running faster than I did. So you never had anything to prove with me or frankly, really anybody we trained with. There was nothing to prove, right? Yeah, because that was a good your, time. Your, your, your sport was already proven. But in this particular case, it's not so much you're trying to prove anything. It's more so like people want to be inspired by the journey. And a little bit of that is kind of what I'm doing with um, jiu-jitsu in the sense that like, I loved competing in CrossFit. I found a lot of joy in it and I was really motivated for a long time. But as you move, as you grow older, it doesn't mean that you're no longer competitive in yeah. some way. You just might not be competitive in the exact same stuff. Right. And so finding jiu-jitsu has been cool for me in that, in that sense. But yeah. anyways. Yeah, but I think that that's part of, like you and I love to compete. The problem is, is that as you age, you, there's these insecurities that build up because you reflect back on your days and you know that you can never, like for me, I can't watch a triathlon on TV. Yeah. It just gives me anxiety and it makes me feel old. It makes me feel less than I was. And so when this happened, it was like, there was a level of like youthful enthusiasm was like, wow, this actually is doable and it's respectable. Like top, I don't care if it's 60 to 64 age group, it's still top three in the world. Yeah. And- that's cool. When like, you're competing against your peers, like, and you're competing against 
the age group. And I think that's, that's super inspiring, but I think you're right about that. And I, I wonder how many other people feel that same way, but don't know how to articulate it. Right. Is that as you get out of a sport, it's difficult to also even think about competing in a sport that you used to be at the top with yeah. because it's, it's, it's overwhelming, right? Yep. Because you know where you're at. People ask me sometimes like, Hey, have you ever thought about competing again or whatever? And it would just be a very daunting task to Oof. try and get back to that same level because you have certain expectations for yourself. Yep when you either switch sports or or um, change the playing field a little bit, in your case, it would be going from the open class to the master division. Right. It does change things. Yep. And now you're competing on a level playing field with where you're at uh, mentally and also age group. I mean, dude, you have other things going on. You're not a full-time athlete. Right. Well, what's, what, what is really interesting is that, like, I don't have any aches and pains anymore. I don't. But I can't for some reason do what I once did. And for all what I know about training, I can't wrap my head around what age does because there is no reason why I shouldn't be able to run a 428 mile, but I can't. You know, I'll tell you something that's really interesting is that I was out doing intervals and I have a trail, you know, next to the house and it's like 4.5 miles and it's like two meters wide, perfectly smooth, and it kind of rolls and twists, but it's mostly flat. I'm doing intervals on it and I have it kind of marked with, you know, different like, distances. Like sprint, jog. Or I'll do like a high intensity interval. Yeah, like we used yeah. to do. Yeah. It could be like 400 meters and then I would do a 100 meter walk. It would be or 800 and then I'll rest for two minutes. Those things. Right. So in this workout, my pace was somewhere around a 545 mile and, and I was struggling with this, the rate in which the trail was coming up onto me. And how fast I was going that I couldn't, or, like, I couldn't process the speed that the road was coming at me relative to the speed that I was running. And if there was a pothole, some stick or something, I wouldn't be able to avoid it. And it wasn't that I was going fast. Remember, it was like 545 pace. But I couldn't process because my eyesight, like that's the difference in age. Huh. Yeah. And it was like, it, it, it surprised me because I've never had that before yeah i wonder how many other people have that problem because i sure as hell don't i actually wonder what it would feel like to run so fast that you can't process you the can't road process the that's road. what it was <laughs> i went home and i'm like and i thought i was like maybe i didn't read my watch right like yeah, maybe yeah. i was running 440 yeah and then i go back and i'm like i was not going fast like, but i couldn't read the road yeah, and so you're thinking like eyesight, age, and I mean, and also like recovery. I mean, so how many days a week right now, or during COVID, um, how many days a week are you actually running, running? Four. I run four days a week, and oh, I'm very, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very careful in the way in which I am going about the programming, because one of the risks that I have is from all the work that I did, I'm really worried about injury, and as you age, it takes a long time to recover. Like mm. that... that there, there's career-ending injuries that when I was a kid, you'd be over it in two weeks. So what types of things, so if someone's in there, you know, I mean, dude, you're, you're coming up on 60, which you look great. Thanks, man. Um, and to be able to run, you know, a, you know, what, I mean, right now you could run a, what, five, 540. 540, I mean, that's strong. I mean, that's But really I'm heavy, strong. like I'm 165. Yeah. I dropped 15 pounds and that puts you down at 520. Yeah. And so um, if you're training four days a week and you're running, but people are worried about, I don't know about the idea of overtraining. Maybe that's not the right term, but they're afraid of injury. Yeah. What, how are you structuring the duration and what are you doing from a recovery perspective so you do avoid injury? That's the biggest thing. And, and so, you know, when I think about recovery, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I have my own business. So the aerobic capacity business, it gives me a lot of flexibility. And one of the things that, that I've been sometimes criticized by our peers why don't you expand? Why don't you have a full-time photographer? Why don't you have staff? Why don't you have someone running things? The thing about it is, is that I don't want it to be so big where it consumes me and takes me away from like Heidi and my kids and being able to do things such as this. And so it gives me a lot of luxuries in the sense that, you know what, I've scaled way back in the things that I want. And so it allows me a chance to really focus on the key things, which is if I want to training or my recovery that I'm able to do things that I never had the time to do. So nutrition is one of the things, the amount of rest I'm taking, but also the maintenance side of it. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, for all what I know in my world, 
when something goes bad, like, okay, so I'm going to give you an example. Yeah, I like examples. I'm, so I'm doing my running and all of a sudden my shoulder is on my left side gets so painful inside. Um, like I thought it was like old swimmer shoulder coming back, but I wasn't swimming. And what I was having to do was in a short sleeve shirt, take my thumb and tuck it inside the shirt sleeve and then hold on to it because every time my arm mm. would sink on like a the, foot strike, yeah. it would cause a shooting pain down my, my shoulder into the wrist. And it would happen every run after I was on my feet for about 40 minutes. And pretty soon it was migrating to where I couldn't sleep on that side. And so I knew there was a problem, but it was shocking that running was bringing this about. I thought it was like I was sleeping on something wrong or something, but it was like from running. It just goes to show what everybody should do in this day and age, and that is you're not an expert in everything. Just because you know how to build aerobic capacity doesn't mean you're an expert in injuries. Yep. Thank God we know people. And so, you know, you introduced me to Kelly Starrett. Remember we did that um, that little panel? Oh, yeah, dude. That was awesome. Yeah, we've done some fun stuff. Dude, that was yeah. a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. And yeah. so what, you reached out to him and he, uh, he's helping you with your yeah, shoulder? Yeah, so he wrote me and he's like, hey, I'm coming out to Mayhem and I'd be happy to, to look at it. It took him a, five seconds. He knew exactly. And he gave me a bunch of exercises to like work on, freeing it up. And it was like, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is definitely from your running and the reason why. And it was Dude, boom, 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 boom. He's so smart. It so smart. Show, though, you said something really valuable and I think it's really important is that you can be an expert in aerobic capacity, be an expert in endurance events, et cetera. But then when you actually, um, when you are uniquely good at your craft, you can really make great results very quickly. So take Kelly Surratt. He is exceptional. Well, and anytime that I have an issue, obviously I call him and he's a good friend of ours, but he is so, he has spent so many hours in the hours, trenches. Right. That he looks at me and it's like, oh yeah, bro. Uh, and in that level of confidence, right? Right. It's been earned over years yep. and years and years. Yep. And I think, um, you know, talking about with you and your workouts and what you've programmed. I mean, you've worked with at this point thousands of athletes, but you know, many of the top ones. Yeah. And you've been able to get them some incredible results. And I'm I'm curious that when when you're thinking about how you started to where you're at today. What are some major things you've seen that are that you thought was once, but now you've realized maybe it's not the case? So here's what I mean. Uh, maybe, uh, what, in 2012 or so, you and I started training together. Yeah. Um, and at that point, right, you had a background in triathlons, but you really hadn't worked with, like, a CrossFit-style athlete as much. No, that's where I took you as an opportunity to learn. Right. And so you and I, we started in the trenches, boom, 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 boom. But at the time, you probably had some preconceived yep. assumptions. Yep. But here we are, you know, you know, coming up on 10 years later and you've worked with all these athletes, what stands out to you as like some of the unique things that you didn't think was possible that now you're seeing? And, and, and what is this optimal style of training for aerobic capacity? Is it once or twice a week? I mean, we were talking about this yeah. rowing event, but I'm, I'm just curious, like you, you have a lot of practical explanations similar to Kelly Surratt, but on this side of the house, what are some major takeaways? The thing that was the challenge was CrossFit is a new sport offered to athletes that sit in the middle. And what I mean by the middle is that they're, they're, they're average in, in, in the sense that they weren't born with these genetic defects that gave them incredible endurance or incredible speed, strength, and power. They don't sit on the extremes. They're sitting where they have a balance of equal percentages of fast twitch and slow twitch fibers. And CrossFit creates this sport for this recreational athlete that doesn't want to specialize in anything. That has never been done before. Right. And so part of it was, is that when you came in, I had already been doing CrossFit for four plus years. So I understood the sport, but I didn't understand what the most elite did. And so I learned from you. I learned from Garrett Fisher. I learned from Neil Maddox and Miranda. Oh, man. Those were the days, weren't Dude. they? Dude. Oh, man. I watched the burden run. Not to go off on total tangent, yeah. but I rewatched the burden run just for the hell of it. And because I was kind of reminiscing, that was one of my probably top events ever. And I just remember Garrett, dude, he just was out in front. Just of goes. Way. Bro, that guy, he hit his first mile and he just kept that pace the whole time. But you know what's so funny? I bet you some <laughs> people were watching him was like, oh, that dude's going out too hot, blah, blah. Right. They had no idea how great of a runner Garrett dude, was. Dude, he was on. Phenomenal Incredible. Runner. I was so excited in that. So I've seen that like, I, I mean, maybe a year ago I watched that. And I am 
on the sidewalk and I'm literally so fired <laughs> up. I'm running up. with him. And it was like, there's like that car from HQ and they're yelling. And I thought they were cheering for him. And little did I know they were yelling at me because I was not allowed on the course. But uh, I was so in the moment. It was like, he was our guy. Dude, he was our guy, man. And, yeah. and I was fired up for him. You know, obviously when I come in, I see him get in there. You know, I was a little bit further behind. But not you know, it's funny. Remember my dad? You know, at that point, the, the sport was still like, you know, there was still some like bro rules, right? And so my yeah. dad kind of had a little card where like oh, he knew yeah. a lot of the guys. Yep. So let, they kind of let him kind of go. They the, lift up the tape. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> And, and remember my dad, I don't know if you remember this, but dude, I was watching on ESPN one time. My dad is like running down the through tunnel. Through the tunnel. <laughs> he goes through the tunnel. I mean, every, I'm like, do you have a media pass? And he's like, no. I'm like, How, you can't go in there. He says, I can. Like he just <laughs> didn't, he didn't have a band or anything. He's just like, I know he's the you, best. It's one of those examples where if you act confident, if you act like you're supposed to be somewhere, you're supposed to be somewhere. Well, yeah. Like it looked like he was with Sports Illustrated. I don't know if you remember this. We were on, tri <laughs> we were on triple threes one time and, uh, you know, I came off the row in the double unders, if I'm not mistaken, first. And so I'm coming off and I'm, I'm starting the run and dude, you know, what was remarkable about the athletes. I mean, we talk about the athlete progression and then we'll go back to what we were talking about, but you know, I, I remember distinctly the triple threes was a three-mile run, and there was a little bit of up and down, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I remember after the event, I finished – so I started the run in first. I ended up finishing the total event like in 15th place or something like something give good. or take. That was good. Right? Yeah, it was fine. But I got passed up by 15, 16 people, let's just say, and I went back, and I think, I think you and I talked about this. My average three-mile pace was like six – low sixes right, or whatever it was. It was. And I still got passed up by right. 15 people. Right. And just goes to show how the sport progressed yep. so quickly, so but fast you, in terms of endurance. But you did that, right? Like, what we did is it changed the sport. And I, I, one of the things I really I have to hand it to CrossFit HQ, that in 2016, so f three years after that, they brought me in as a partner. And for the people like that listen to this, the amount of heat that Jason took and the amount of heat that I took back then in 2013, you're killing, you're ruining his career. You really made him run 20 miles. Oh, yeah. You made Jason run 20. Of course I did. You made him run 10 by 800. He's not running a marathon. And it was like, you, I will always be grateful because you did do what you said. And that is, I'm interested in what you are wanting me to do, but I'll never question it. And you did it. Well, now, and here we are 10 years later, you've worked with Rich, you've worked with Matt, you've worked with Tia, you've worked with all, I mean, all the champions. And I mean, now you're seeing numbers. I mean, you said to me right now that Rich is in, I mean. Oh, he's Rich. Rich is in the best fitness I have ever seen. And he That's would for stuff. sure. What is he, right like now 30, he can he run. 33? 32, 33. He can run. Rich can run right now very close to a five-minute mile. Very close. 510 easy question is this could he break five he is and you think he could podium as an individual oh yeah no no he is and the reason why is he has the passion that he did in the, when he came into the sport Dude, isn't that the craziest thing i mean he i was thinking about him he's been in this thing he started his first year is 2010 he's coming up on you know 11 12 years of right. competing and team or individual I, to still have that same desire and mindset <sighs> and you know talking about rich for a second he is the epitome of someone who loves to train. Right. I mean, dude, I, I love to train, but he is, I mean, from sunup to sundown. It's incredible. And it's, it's consistent. Consistent. It is. It's like he is, without a doubt, like you were great. Frazier was great. What you did is you were students of the game. And what you did is leverage resources that you had. And even though you can do it, Why? I'm going to rely on the people that I know because they're better than me. And that's what Rich does. It's like, it's nonstop. What do you think I should do? And when he looks at workouts, he's not going to take necessarily what I give him. He's going to do a modification to it. So what I do is I'll give him, you know what? Here are three examples of workouts based upon what was just announced. And what he may do is take combinations of all three. That's how good Rich is. He understands all three of them, and then he understands the workout and the stimulus based upon his teammates, and he may make a modification. That's how good he is. He is in every workout doing that. Who yeah. does that out there? I don't know. I mean, well, speaking of which, so we're actually in Madison at the CrossFit Games right now, and 
we had a couple of events that I found were pretty interesting so far. It is currently Friday night. Yep. Um, a couple of events that I thought you'd would pique your interest. First one was swimming with fins on. I thought that would be interesting for yep. you because you're like the that. first person I think that ever had me swim with fins. Can you believe that back then? Uh, I still write workouts that way. You you are actually the first. You're the, you were the first person. I I I specifically remember. Um, I went to the. You and I were working on swimming. You had me buy. Um, I want to say like a, a board, yep. uh, fins, <laughs> a, board. And a, a board, fins, and I think that's it, right? And and we we used the hell out of those things, yep. right? And it's really interesting. So there was that event, yep. and then there was the the 550 meter run event, and I couldn't help but watch these guys compete in this 550 yeah. and be like, dude, the the corners, uh, I mean, there's corner. just so much team. There's so much. So this so, that I corner mean, you was treacherous. It, right? Right. You must like, have loved watching it. No, I loved like the start of that, and the fact was, is that 550 was downhill, like it's slightly downhill. Come and so the speeds that they were going <laughs> when they hit that turn, <laughs> dude. I mean, I've been to dog races before, and that's what I was thinking. It's like, man, if they're coming in three wide, the person on the outside is going to go into the outside oh. turnbuckle. Like, it's, oh, dude, <laughs> it's just was so dangerous. I just loved it because I mean, I, I was watching one with um. Vellner, right? Yeah. And he cut off uh he I mean he was being competitive. Like yeah. he was just right. he was just doing his thing. Dude. But he took him on the quarter. Yep. And uh, I, I think it. he ended up getting passed up by yep. whoever he was passing. But I just found it to be so interesting because I wonder how many of these guys actually train on the track that aggressively. But that was a definitely how much do you think position played on that event? Huge. You think so? That's where like I what okay, so you know, you bring up like that that first event. Uh, for the individuals, but the teams had something different where they did a 500 meter swim with no fins and then they did uh, the kayak and they switched, you know, it was female, female, and then male, male went. I, I, what I really liked about what Dave Castro designed in that workout was he was, he was bringing into the games for teams the importance of tactics and working as a team. How well do you know your teammates? Are you so? For example, yeah, when yeah. you swim and you draft, if you've got a great swimmer, then what they should do is stick with their partner and let them draft off of you. So if you and I were swimming together, I would lead you and I would make sure that you're always on my feet. Why? Because it's twenty percent easier for you. Meaning you could swim. Yeah, you break the water. Right. You could swim yeah. significantly I, faster. I was thinking the same thing on the kayak. I was wondering. Seventeen percent easier in back I on a kayak. I was really curious if why they didn't get like a group of three to like kind of come together and be like, Hey man, show something. We, doesn't it? Why don't we come together? Right. Uh, the, the only reason why it's a little tough. I remember thinking about this years ago. Do you remember there was a, a cycling event and I wanted to think about drafting. It wasn't a long enough distance to really right. draft, but they're coming off the swim and then they're going. So they don't know, like, let's just say you and I partnered up, but what if we don't come off the swim at the same time? That's where it got a little tough. Right. But if you and I get de did that workout, Right. And that's what I that's what this is what I'm saying is that it's no longer about four of the fittest people. Take the Tour de France. You could be the fittest rider in the world. But if you have a weak team, you're not going to win. Isn't that the craziest thing? But that's the point. Right. So imagine if you have a team that truly understands strengths and weaknesses and you get opportunities to work together to support your teammate that may be the weaker one in that moment. Right. So you and I, if it comes down to swimming, you're the slower swimmer. My job is to make sure you ride my feet the entire time. Now we get out of that swim and you're the stronger kayak. And especially you being bigger, you're going to sit lower in the water. I will get a significant draft off of you. And if you and I want to like switch, we work as a team. But we never saw it once in the water and we never saw it once on the boat. So if teams are sitting there and looking at... Oh, so teams. Yeah, yeah. I was teams. thinking more on the individual no, no, side. No, no, no. I'm saying teams. And yeah. so what, but I like what Dave did is that if you want to see if there's opportunity, look at that event and say, are they working individually or are they working yeah. as a unit? And, and they're not working as a unit. And I know for a fact, I mean, look, Dave is, he's uniquely qualified in the water. We all know yeah, that. Right. And he had to have known that there was some strategy involved if someone wanted to if do it. If they wanted to. Yeah. It was a huge potential advantage. Yeah. Yeah, especially on the kayak. Oh, man. my gosh. It's I mean, easy. I, you know, I, I'm referring mainly to the individuals. Yeah. I was just thinking, imagine if three individuals come out of the water at the same time. I mean, this is like, you know, perfect but, example, you know. But, like, imagine if they came together and they actually did that. Well, imagine. Could they have passed people Well, let's, let's just say that I'm the fastest swimmer. I get out of the water first. And so what do I do? 
as soon as the first kayaker comes past me, I drop and put my bow right on their stern and I ride them all the way to the finish. And you know what? You could have first place. I'll take second. <laughs> and we didn't see it, did we? No. People passed and they, and they let never, them go. And they never had any rules on that. No, there isn't any. You're allowed to do it. It's completely fine. And so that's where it's like there's an opportunity there. There's a good opportunity if you're sitting on the outside where the sport still needs to evolve. It's not where these sports like the tour, you know, been around for over 100 years. 100 years, right. Right. I am curious. So with the sport, here we are in Madison. Um, I'm looking forward to going to the event tomorrow. Um, you know, from what I see, right, it looks pretty busy. It looks like the sport's it's well nice alive. It's here again. And, yeah, I mean, it's nice to be back at live events. Um, you know, you've been around the sport. You've gone to the Home Depot Center or, you know, yeah. Carson, and now you've been here. And you've gone to a lot of other events. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think that they're going to continue to stay at, like, festival-type locations like this? Do you think they'll end up going back? I mean, you think this is, like, the right size for the CrossFit event? I'm just curious. And then do you think that they'll ever go back into the ocean? Uh, yeah. You wonder if, if like, the tests – here's the thing about, you know, there's not this super long event this year. And, and, I, and I find that very appealing because a lot of people perceive long as challenging, and it's not. It would be way more difficult to condense more workouts at higher intensity – within the same amount of time. Yeah, like five events in a day or whatever it is. Right. It's way more difficult to recover because of the level of intensity. And we know that from doing interval work. It's much easier to do a 20-mile run than 10 by 800 fast. Right. And so what he's done this year is he's not announcing this is the hardest ever, but it is really hard. These athletes, it's Friday, and they're smashed. Why? We're already like nine events in, right? Exactly. So if you do more events... They're going to keep the intensity high, but the level of fatigue on these athletes is going to build. Well, and the amount of tests that you start to accomplish is, is greater, Exactly. Right? That's why you could do like these silly events. Like people commented, why 550? Well, if you're doing a lot of events, you're actually creating a better test because you have, instead of 10 options, you have 20 options. Right, right. I think so far the events have been really um, well well structured right you have a little bit of balance of each and, but I, I am curious like i mean dude because i think the ocean used to always throw in a very unique twist yes. for people who didn't have exposure to the ocean oh yeah because a lake fear. and an ocean is a big difference that fear you know. oh yeah that 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 wave fear and so i'm wondering um as the games continue to grow and especially with new ownership i i'm, I'm really curious where the games are going to go and how invested cross it's going to be because for me you too know, me for too couple, for a couple of years there i i felt like the the games were growing oh yeah and then about 13 14 15 maybe even you can make you know 16 yep. you saw these big peaks and then i felt like you know Things at HQ, maybe they weren't as bought into the sport. Who knows what happened, Who right? Knows. And but now I think with new ownership, they are interested in the sport. Some I'm, I'm wondering with new sponsors like Ram, Monster, whoever, the Army, the Army. You know, the more sponsors, the more money, the more opportunity. I, I, but I think that you're right. But they have to create a, a wider spread appeal. And so part of it is is that you, these other sports, these these individual sports. They're looking at CrossFit. They look at it. And part of it is, is, is Dave, I think, did a good thing this year where he did a mile swim. And every swimmer in the world would look at those swim times and go, ah, oh, I could be the fastest CrossFitter in the sport of swimming. Got it. But what he did is he put fins on them. Right. And so it's not apples to apples. Right. And he created a different element. He is making sure that he is staying in his space, that we are a different sport. And it shows that they're really being smart about it. We're not trying to create a – like, for example, Trek's headquarters, it's right down the street. The world championships in cyclocross was right down the street. There is no reason in prior years that Dave couldn't said to Trek, instead of doing something here, why don't we put him on a bus and we're going to have him run through the UC, the cyclocross world right. championship course. Right. But that was something that's not what Dave would do. Right, because those guys are experts in that Ex specific right. field. And so you can't compare that. And so why would you come into that trap? And so it's a very delicate balance that they have where they're trying to test swimming, running, and cycling. But we don't want to make a comparison. Like, for example, swim, bike, run. You're not going to do an Olympic distance triathlon for the risk of 
being compared. Yeah. And right. so that's the that's the hardest part that they have. They've got to make it so it doesn't look like strongman where it's like these like and I don't want to call them circus workouts, but it has to have some widespread appeal where it's like, you know what? Respect to that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited to see us back on TV on Sunday. I, I hope that it continues to grow. Me too. And I think you're right, though, about making it appealing enough where people can get an idea of what it is, yep. but not so similar that then people are comparing like, oh, dude, that person would have finished right. 5,000 because it's a completely different sport yep. That's why different goals. That's why we can sit here and we could sit there like Ashton Eaton, you know, the, the, the best dictathlete in the world. Guy's a stud. But let's face it, the dictathlon... It's mostly a skill-based, there's 10 events, and 8 out of the 10 are skill-based. They're all short, with the exception of the 1,500. He knows exactly when his events are. He knows how much rest he has. He knows there's no surprises. He knows what he's training for. It's not unknown. Right. What if you took that world's greatest athlete and you said, you know, hey, we're not doing the javelin. Sorry, we're going to do a half marathon row. Surprise him. That would be the equivalent of Dave Castro saying, oh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do a javelin throw ourselves. Right. And you know what's going to happen yeah. is javelin people will go, what a joke. Right. It's because of the, the, the skill set. I, I don't think I really realized it until I got into jiu-jitsu more. And I realized that if you have someone who's been training something specific, yeah. right, and has a set of skills like time. Time yeah. plays a big role. Like the more time that we do at something, the better we get at it. You know, like you have the Malcolm Gladwell kind of 10,000 hours become an expert. I mean, yeah. but it's crazy with jujitsu because if you develop this set of skills, just how much more dominant you could be to another person. Cause it's very physical, right? Yeah. But that same thing applies in all different areas. And, um, but you know, I mean, even the javelin throw, I mean, how much technique does that incorporate? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's incredible. Like, <laughs> yeah. so I brought a, I brought a heptathlete, you know, that, that, um, you know, Olympic level heptathlete and she came out and, and, you know, I got a bunch of javelins and she came out to Cookville and a javelin. The reason why it's difficult is because there's no like pin feathers to keep it straight. And when rich throw it the first time, it literally flew like a helicopter. It maybe went 10 yards. It's spun this way. Oh like, yeah. Because it's, it's not an easy, it's a skill because you have to like spin it out of your hand. Huh? You have to, the way in which you throw it, it's, it's a skill based movement and, and it took him a while to figure it out. And so to think how far that these specialists throw, and that's where it's, it, it, we don't want to be in that space because we want to do a variety. I find like what you're doing in jujitsu, like to me, it's interesting because you've turned that into a passion where it's really now it's a sport specific sport for you where you're committed to it. I think that like, you know, I remember when you talked to me about it and you were getting it into the first time we were at the trail run in Kauai and, and you're like, no, man, I really love it. And, and then you said to me, he says, the thing that's really incredible is my cardio. My cardio is like my gift. Oh, yeah. And that was the thing that I realized after a short amount of time, people don't have what I have. And that's how I can win. And it's interesting to me. That, 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 revolution, that revelation came to you quickly in just jujitsu in a short amount of time and that others aren't aware that that's their weakness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th th there's definitely this, one of my goals is to bridge the gap between, to be honest, one of my goals in jujitsu is to be like Chris Hinshaw. So Chris Hinshaw comes in from an endurance background where you're just one of many coaches in this space, very talented. You come over to a different audience that you're passionate about, you're, you're authentic with, right? You're not... You're not, you're very authentic in the CrossFit space because you're doing it yeah. and you just change the game for a bunch of people. My goal in jujitsu is to do relatively similar where I take my background from strength conditioning, from CrossFit, et cetera. And I roll it into something I'm really excited about with, yeah. the, which is jujitsu. And I try and bridge those two communities because people don't talk about it enough. It's like, you know, like yep, they don't, but, but it's surprising, know. isn't it? That here it is. It's obvious to you, but I think that it goes back to the same thing we were talking about when, when my running. I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. I just didn't know what happens when you age. I didn't know that the road and my vision and my, my, my brain's ability to process that would slow down. I never even thought about it because I've never been old. Yeah. I just can't believe that you ran. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm super. I can't believe you're 59. 58. 58? Yeah. Bro. Hey, <laughs> Chris Hinshaw looks good for 58. Thanks, man. I mean, Thank dude, you. seriously. I mean, and so now you're in Cookville currently. Yep. Right? Yep. 
And you three and, and Heidi years. moved there three and a half years ago from Northern California, the greatest place on earth. But I mean, yep. I'm not biased or it's anything. It's a good spot. Yeah. And and now, what are the plans? Where where are you where, where are you guys going? What do you, what's the deal? You know, like we were talking about earlier, like we're really lucky in the sense that my my want list isn't that big, and neither is Heidi. You know, and we really enjoy spending time together. You think your want list was a lot more when you were an executive yep. in sales? Because I wasn't happy. I needed more wants in order to satisfy my unhappiness. Like I was grinding. I was working, right? We were doing what we thought was supposed to be what you do when you get old. And that is, I'm going to go into debt, have kids, and just have a job until the end. That was the plan. And you grind. And what you realize is as you progress through, it's like, ooh, still I'm grinding. I need another TV set. I need a new car. I need blah, blah, blah. And you never actually saved anything. It, it, so you're doing sales um, at a, a software company. High tech. In, high yeah. tech. Silicon in, Valley. In, in Silicon Valley. And so when you got out of racing professionally, then how many years did you work in that field for? 20 plus. 20 plus. Vice president. Yeah. High level. Six, and at, yeah. $600 million company. At what point did you say to yourself, well, at what point did you realize like it'll never be enough. And I'm, I'm curious if that's what you thought. Cause I, what I'm hearing from you now is like, you don't need that much stuff. Here's the problem. Think about when you were like in, like at, at the level that you were in CrossFit, what you did was you didn't realize where you were in that moment because it incrementally happened over time. Right. You didn't realize until you left it, and now you're looking back on hindsight. The reason why you don't want to go back in the sport is you know what it takes to get there. That's right. You didn't do that intentionally when you started. It incrementally happened, and all of a sudden, magically, it was 2014, and now you're training all of this like incredible volume, incredible intensity, but it snuck up on you. I was the same way in triathlons. I remember when I did my last triathlon in Hawaii, Kona. Did you know it was your last triathlon? No. No, I, 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 the thing was, is so I did another triathlon after it and an Ironman in Brazil and I won that and that was the end. But I remember doing Kona and so I, six weeks earlier, I did the world championships, Ironman distance, got second, then went to Hawaii two weeks later, did that one. And then two months later, I did another one in Brazil, but I was sitting there in Kona the next day. And I said to myself, I could do this seven days in a row. I look back on that statement, I think about it, I was, I was brain damaged to say that to myself. To think that that's a normal thought, that you can do 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and a 26.2 mile run seven days in a row as, yeah, I could do that. Like, and I just, was a conversation myself. That's incredible, because I look back on that, to do just an Ironman is so huge. Huge. It's monumental. I can't right. even wrap my head around it. Right. It's so big. I mean, dude, being in the water for two and a half miles in itself is the most scary part to me. <laughs> I mean, that's a long way to go, dude. I'll tell you a story. So when I was in that, that race in Brazil, they had to swim straight out. Straight, straight out. out. Oh, mile the, in, my, 1.2 miles. One, dude, in the dark water. Black no, water. Oh, no. dude, it was so dark. Because you started like at 5 a.m.? No, it was just, it was like, oh. we went from like the nice, beautiful turquoise water into oh, the, like the darker. And then yeah. pretty soon you're so far out. It's just so deep that it's dark. Right. It's black. Oh, you dude. look down, it's just black. You don't see anything. And how many people are doing it with you? Like a hundred? No, there was like a thousand people. So I was like out, in, like I'm a decent swimmer and I was pretty far ahead. I was probably, you know, by that time, a hundred meters ahead. I turn and I go around the turnaround. So you go around one boat, boat. And it's 45 degrees. You swim to another one, and then you go 45 degrees in. Right. It's like a pretty big, yeah, I get so it. So people can't, like, cross right. over. Right. As I head back into shore, I look up to sight. I can't even see South America. Like, I can't see land. It's so, 1.2 miles. Dude, you're way the hell out. Dude, so far out. I was like, where is land? And how many boats do they have out there for, like, safety? <laughs> this is Brazil. <laughs> I got you, bro. <laughs> right. I got you, bro. But as soon as trouble hit, be like, you're on your own. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yeah. It was like, oh, man. Yeah. That was just brutal. Well, dude, the reason why. So I, I want to get back to your business life. But real quick, I remember Paul Gomez. He took me out of the ocean one time and he wanted to make me more comfortable. And we swam hella far out in Laguna Beach. This is like pretty water. This is in Brazil, whatever. And we go out like maybe, I don't know, dude. It felt like forever. But 
it got to the point where I could barely see the beach, but I could see the beach. I could see it, but it barely. And he just, we just sat there for like an hour to get more comfortable in the water and like yeah. not be afraid of it. But I could only imagine what it's like to be in like a country you're unfamiliar with, okay. water that you're unfamiliar with. You're in a competition setting. So it's not like you're out there just like leisurely. You're trying to win. So your heart rate's probably elevated already. You're probably already anxious about a bunch of different things. And then, dude, you're a mile and a half out or whatever it is, and you look up. You just can't see shit. Nothing. <laughs> so, so, so what are you using the spot? Just bro, buoys? I, I, the thing was is no one spoke any English. And so it was like <laughs> I just literally was swimming. I don't even know. And finally, I was able to see. And then I went in. Here's the kicker, though. It, it got way worse. So I was come in. Was it choppy or no? No, it was okay. It was – but – the thing was, is that, so I come in and normally in triathlons, when you, when you exit the swim, there's like a changing tent right. and, and there's an area for people to change, um, like into their biking clothes because it's a 112 mile bike ride and it's in Brazil. And so the temperatures are high and you're not going to just ride in your speedo. So I get out and I get my bike clothes and I have my bag and I'm running and I'm like, where's the tent? Well, Brazil there's no tent. So you just drop draw right there. Well, I'm sitting there and I'm the only one because I'm, I'm a hundred meters ahead of the person behind me. And I'm like, and I'm trying to ask like, where's the tent? Meanwhile, the person's coming. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, fuck it. I could do a deck change faster than anybody. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I could pull my speedo off and my bike shorts on faster than anybody that can even would even notice. Like I got this. This is, I, oh. I've been doing deck changes since I was eight. <laughs> I do it. I end up winning that race. I the next morning. <laughs> Did you, was there pictures in the newspaper? Or bro, something? it was the worst. <laughs> I won. I go out and and I'm leaving my room in the morning to get breakfast. I see every morning there's a newspaper. <laughs> I just see the Important it's folded. Piece. It says Hinshaw displays magnificence. Like I it, I don't know what it was in Portuguese, right. but it was magnificence. Oh, dude. I open up the thing and it's a big giant photo of me getting out of my speedo. And I'm like, but what did they show? Bro, full. No. It's Brazil. No. Dude, I had to go to the awards ceremony. <laughs> so I'm like, <sighs> it was a two point, like all the excuse. It was 2.4 miles. What am I supposed to say? I'm in the water, you know, like the, the Seinfeld episode. And so I'm like, ugh, not a single word from anybody. It was like, because Brazil, they don't care. Like, it was my own hang-up. Like, I Dude, was not no a single peep. Because I went down, like, I, like, panic mode. I collected every newspaper on my floor. And then I was like, I can't get them all. <laughs> yeah, it was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. It was like, and that was my last race. And so that, but you didn't know that was your last race. No. So the thing about it was, was that what made me decide. I mean, at that moment though, you probably said, Hey, screw it. I'm just going to take off my short. Like you, you, you're trying to win. I right. mean, no, I was in race even, mode. Even if you knew that someone was going to take a picture of it, you still would have popped. I right. It didn't matter to me. Right. Cause you're winning. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I would tell people like, like when I would go down mountain passes, I can feel my bike slide. Like I could feel it on asphalt. Like you would ride and you could kind of know where that edge is. Like, and you're like, Oh, that was a little bit much. You got to that point where, you know what? It didn't matter what we were doing. I'm going to do everything I can to win. Yeah. And if it damaged me, it doesn't matter to me. Right. I am in that moment right then and there. And right. so, yeah, like in that situation, it didn't matter to me. But I'll tell you what, in that, so <laughs> I, do, I do this bike race and uh, I have an have a arm guard on a, mic, a bike next to me, a motorcycle. And this he's got a machine gun in Brazil. We, we end up... Um, going down to where they do the F1 Grand Prix in, in Rio. And we have to, to transition off of our bike there. And then our first part of our, our marathon, we have to run the 5,000 meters around the lap. There's no aid station. It's a million degrees out. It's December in Brazil, which is summertime. I roast on this black asphalt. I come out of there and my motorcycle now, my escort to keep me safe, like, like in, and he's with me and he spoke English. And were you still in the lead at this point? Oh yeah. I was pretty far in front. Like the bike ride, I made a big lead. Yeah. I had like 15 minutes, but I blown up. I am so blown from doing the 5k that I'm walking and he's like, can I help? Like, and I'm like, can you go to like, I told him 7-Eleven and can you get me a two liter Coke? 
And he's looking at me and he's like, a Coca-Cola? I'm all a big one, like two liter, a big one. The guy just takes off. He's gone. Yeah. I'm Get out there running. with an AK-40, you know. He's got, a, he's got an Uzi, you know, yeah. like with him. And so I'm solo running down the road. He comes back like five minutes later. He's got a two liter bottle of Coca-Cola. No. And he hands it to me. I drank like. And you're allowed to take, like it was no big deal. Cause you're I, was, I didn't care at that point. It was like, goes back to what you said. Yeah. It's like, it's the survival. And if right. I don't get this, I'm going to lose anyway. Dude, so you shut down the two liter of Coke. Dude, I drank like two thirds of it. And within a minute, like I came out of the ether, like I was like back in the game. And every now and then I'd nurse that thing. And it, when it ran out, he would go to the 7-Eleven and bring me another one back. And that's how I was able to finish. But it was like, it was brutal because there wasn't by a pretty decent amount or. Yeah. I mean, I won by a decent amount. Yeah. I mean, I had a good race there. Like it was a good, I like the heat. I like when it's warm. I like um, high temperature. Dude, that's a good one. Actually. That's a good, the, the getting a picture of you, bro, wake up in the morning and seeing that. I was so proud. And then in a second, it just, you know, (laughs) the, the heart sinking, it was like, it was such a, oh, it was such a good Dude. setup, but I was like, that was terrible. Could you imagine if that was nowadays with social media and everything? Dude. Oh, it'd be everywhere. I, I mean, mean, the thing about it was. You might be a celebrity, you know, Brazil. Uh, bro, that wasn't the celebrity moment. I mean, no. <laughs> no, Dude, then, it was so humbling. But then you, you know, <laughs> backing up a little bit. So, so why was that your last race? So the reason why is that I couldn't get my left body like. So when you get to the point, you know this, if you train enough, you can make yourself do anything, right? Anything. I, and, and, and still to this day, I can make myself do it. I just make, I'll just do it. It doesn't matter to me. You want me to drive? I'll drive to California right now. I'll just make myself do it. I can. And that's what we can do. The problem was, is that when I was just walking around, I couldn't get my left side to do what my right side did. There was so much, so many problems that I had physically that when I was just doing regular stuff, I couldn't do it. I was amazing in, in that sport, but only in that sport. I couldn't do anything else. And so part of it was, is like, I, I, I couldn't function. Like, I remember my best workouts were my 20-mile weekly run. If I wasn't racing, I'd run 20 on a Sunday. And after 12 miles, I felt good. That was my best workout. So it was every workout. It was like, make yourself do it. But I hurt. And it just became where you know what i just don't want to hurt anymore the problem was is i didn't do anything about that and right. it just got worse right yeah in hindsight all the new therapeutics like in cold hot uh kelly Soret's the world mobility uh, so many options. tissue work i mean there's just right issues gone down the rabbit hole in in, in, in in addition to like new things like uh element like these like salt tablets and and electrolyte pills and oh the all- precision just in your carb yeah. replacement stuff that they have now that's where it's like this, the evolution of, of opportunity to make you great is so much better than it's ever been because right. there's resources. Right. Back then, like I remember like – Just trying to figure it out. Yeah, because there wasn't any of that. Like I, I had a coach and he was pretty good in track and field. I ran with the women's track team every now and then at, you know, when I went to where I went to college. And you know, I do these workouts. And then one time there was like a substitute type of coach for because the head coach was traveling. And we had a 10-by-1-mile workout with 800 jog in between. The next day I show up and it was a 10 by one mile workout with an inner jog and no one said anything to this coach. Hey, do you remember we did this yesterday? There wasn't that kind of environment back then. Mm. You did what you were told and there was no other backup plan. Right. That's what's so great about nowadays is that there's resources like you, like what you offer, what I offer, like, like we're talking about Kelly Starrett and everyone is accessible. Yeah, you get well, especially because the internet and whatnot. Yep. So I want to go back just to kind of wrap up something that I think is an open-ended thing, and I I got I got to ask about it. So you're in the corporate world, and you have your job, and in this this theory of like it's never enough, right? Yeah. And so now your lifestyle is a little bit more simplistic. And I'm 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 kind of speaking for you, but I think that's yeah. the case, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. So looking back on like your corporate job. Like if someone is in that corporate job, like what, what type of things, I mean, not everybody could just, you know, look, man, sometimes the stars align opportunity meets, you know, training and, and you have a great experience like you, right. You had, we had an opportunity, you had a background. It just, it just worked. And then you created something special, 
but that can't be for everybody. Yeah. And so if you're in like a corporate job and you always are feeling like this unhappiness, right? What are the signs you're feeling that? And like, what are some of the things that maybe you could have done a little bit differently? Cause you're saying you're always chasing like the next, like, and anyways, I, just I would to... chase and chase. And here, here was the th- thing that I realized when things were going South is that I would volunteer for anything because I thought that that new thing would bring some level of happiness. Mm. And the problem was, is that the more things that you signed up for, the more you were unable to actually successfully do. It was really like this self-fulfilling failure where I would take on new projects, but I already had too many projects. But I thought maybe that would make me satisfied. And I was good in what I did. I was really good at what I did. And I was so good that it was almost like I could sell and it was more automated. Like I, I, I was able to figure out the patterns that people would fall into and I was able to pitch them based upon their profile that I, I created. And the problem was is that I realized that none of those things made me happy. Bigger deals didn't make me happy. More complex deals. None of those variables were solutions. And so part of it was is like, what would I do because here's the thing is I was good in sales. It's not like I could go and now go into purchasing. This is my profession. Right. I was pigeonholed. Yeah, right? you're already 20 years into it. Right. And, right. I, and, and that's where, and in Silicon Valley, like the relationships that I had, like that's what it was. But every single time there was nothing that brought a level of satisfaction. And maybe part of it was, is like you refer back to what we do and that is your parents and your dad was grinding his entire life. Like, but that was our mentor. Yeah. My dad grinded until the very end too. Like that's what he did. And so that's what I just thought life was. Mm. But when I started like kids and I got to hand it to this generation of kids, they question authority. They ask why yeah, they want to know the too, purpose. Maybe a little bit too much sometimes. Right. But yes. Yeah. But they do. Sure. No, they do. No, and right. it forced <laughs> no, us. It's good. It is good. Right. But, it, but you and I couldn't have that conversation right. with our dads. Right. If they told no, us, that's true. you did it. Yeah, that's right. Whether right. it was right or wrong. Yeah, especially my dad coming from Iran, it was just a little bit different. Well, in the fact, like, my dad, I remember, like, he told me, he says, hey, what are you going to major in? I'm 18. I don't know. Right. And, and imagine you take an 18-year-old kid and you put him in a corporation and you ask him a decision like that. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? Right. You would never listen to a kid yet our generation would ask us that. Right. And we weren't equipped. And so part of it's nice is that this generation is changing things. And what they're doing is they're wanting to understand the reason behind it. What's the purpose? Right. Explain it. And, and if it's not compelling enough, I'm not doing it. Right. And so that's what I started thinking about in my job. You know, my kids being older, I have three kids and, and you know, they're out of that generation. And the pivotal moment, and, and I have to thank you for that, was with Mike Cordano. You know, here he is. He's CEO of HGST, and we're sitting on the track one day, and a good guy. I mean, a guy on that level, I'll never forget this. He shouldn't be talking to me. Like, like in, in terms of, he's so much above me is what I thought. But he looked at me, and he was interested, and he looked, and he said, I know you think that you can go from coaching into your day job and then back again. But I'm telling you that every time you transition, it's ruining both sides. Yeah. And you need to commit. You need to commit to one of those sides. And it wasn't like he was putting pressure on one way or the other, but he it was, was just like sharing his insight. Right. And, yeah. and, and the thing was, is I listened. And I think that the problem that a lot of people have is they're not listening. And this guy with his level of, of, of authority, he took interest in well, me. Well, he had no vested interest, right? I mean, he, Right, he, but he still cared. But that's what I'm saying. Like, he had no bias. Right. He was just sharing his insight. Right, and I listened to it. And, yeah. and a lot of times, people don't listen. Like, I, I don't know about you, but when I try and convey a message and people don't understand it, they just discount it. And it's like, no, 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 this is really important. And, and I'm not telling you it the correct way so you understand it. Let me reframe it right. so you get it. A lot of times people are like, nah, not interested. Like it happens to me all the time. And so I listen and I go back and I think about it and I tell Heidi about it. And she says, well, why is it that you don't want to go into coaching? Because this time I was not making any money. It was free. Right. And I was smashing it. If you talk about money. Right. Smashing it. 
in the business side, my, my full-time sales career. And so she's like, why not? And I, I, I never really thought it through. And then my answer was, is that, you know what? I told her, I said, I'm afraid. Yeah. I am afraid. And that was like, that was the moment that right then when, as soon as those words came out, I said, I'm quitting. Right. I'm quitting my job because I never want to do something because of fear. Right. It wasn't for any other reason other than that. Yeah. Man, I remember those days too, man. We had, you Dude. know, it's funny. I, I love catching up with you and I could, I could talk, you know, I could talk with Dude, you. Dude, will you tell your story about when you did the 20 mile run and went shopping afterwards? Oh gosh, Dude. You know, we should do like multiple, multiple episodes. <laughs> just, just re. You know, <laughs> so, I'll, I'll, that run, that run, dude. Because you were like a grizzly bear coming out of the mountains. It was me and uh, Miranda, and then I only ran the first. No, one. No, I ran a lap with you because I did one. it the day before with Garrett and Neil. Yeah, you ran one with me, so you wanted me to get some time on my feet, and so I, I, I wanted to accomplish twenty miles, and so. One lap I did with, uh, was it, so I did one lap with, with me and you. Me and Miranda. You and Miranda, and then I did one lap either was, by myself or yeah, with someone. Once, I, didn't, I don't know, whatever it was. Maybe I did one with you and then one with Miranda, whatever that it was. was it. yeah. And so I'm out there, and we were out there for a long time. In the Santa Cruz Mountains. In hilly. the Santa Cruz Mountains. I, like, I didn't get cell service, and I had to go meet my wife, like, you, shortly after. And, you had to go golfing or something. Oh, yeah, something with my, like, I had to go do something. A wedding or? Yeah, a wedding. And, you know, my wife at the time dealt a lot of <laughs> bullshit, you know, because I would always be, I'd always show up late. You were the late. troublemaker. Dude, I would always show up late. <laughs> you I mean, had your change of clothes in dude, the car. Yes. You know how many times I would show up? I'd be in the garage doing stamina building, like, handstand push-ups right before dinner, and I would show up to the dinner table just <laughs> sweating my ass off, shirt off, and I'd just be like, dude, I am such a jerk, but I wanted to be on. Anyways, uh, so I, we show up after this run, and, uh, dude, I had no idea what time it was, but I remember me and Miranda are running back, and I'm like, hey. I got to get back for this thing. <laughs> like, but we were, but we were tired, you know, like we're 20 miles in. Right. And I didn't know how long it was going to take. I mean, th- there's a very, there's like a variables, right? Like it could take you whatever. It could take you longer. And, uh, so I get back to the car and I grab my phone cause I, I, I didn't, I didn't have my phone or whatever. I look at the time I'm like, Oh shit. So I get there and I literally get right in my car. Like literally there was no nothing. I just get to the car. I'm like, Miranda, I got to go. So I get in the car, shirts off. I start driving. I'm like, oh, man, I don't feel good. <laughs> and I get down the hill, and I'm like, I don't feel right. Like, I shouldn't be driving. This is this is not safe for me or anybody else around. <laughs> and so I see a 7-Eleven or a gas station. I walk in. No shirt? or No what? shirt. No shirt. Dripping? I walk, dripping. You? Just fucking just f- messed up. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I, I'll never forget the guy's face because I have my shirt off. I'm exhausted. I go grab a giant bottle of water and a Gatorade, right? Because I wanted a little bit of sugar and, and whatever. Yeah. And I go and I just slam them on the counter. I'm bending over. I'm like, I need this right now. And I just start pouting it. I don't even pay the guy. I eventually pout, I eventually paid him, of course. But I slammed these things. And I and, and then I left. I got back in the car and kept driving. <laughs> Poor guy. And as I'm... <laughs> As I'm leaving, I get my like my my head right because I'm you know like finally the Gatorade kicks in whatever because I was probably low on blood sugar like with <laughs> of course I just reflect I'm like dude that guy must be like who the fuck <laughs> just walked into my store in the middle of Santa Cruz Mountains like there's no like it's not like you're like in a major city right. like we're like in the middle of nowhere <laughs> just <laughs> just oh, I need my <laughs> anyways oh uh, man those dude, were good times oh uh, dude we had a lot of good times well look Chris uh, we I need to it. connect we need to so good sp- speaking of Ashley I think she wants to go to dinner tonight so we got to go figure out something for tonight if you're around um i love it look we're in we're in madison uh i'm dude i love talking to you i cannot wait to do this again yeah um, so good for people you know look you you have online programming yep. uh you know industry leading for aerobic capacity for development uh where do people find out like more about that type of your type of training so you just go to aerobiccapacity.com and there's the online programming option there. And then we just started doing our seminars again. So now that things are opening up, we're starting to load those. The cool thing is, is that I started doing a lot of work with the military. Um, I've done two level twos at uh, Camp Pendleton. uh, And then I went to 29 Palms for the Marines. Yeah. And what I've done with the Marines and I'll eventually launch the level two version of the aerobic capacity course. Um, for civilians but right now it's just through military uh i want to do a lot of advanced concept stuff with them because of their commitment with these force fitness instructors coming out of quantico 
and they're super receptive and I've been enjoying it. So yeah, no, things are going well as far as seminars. It's nice that they're coming back. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I hope they, they stay back. And, yeah. uh, yep. so check out aerobic capacity. Yep. Uh, Chris, when are we, uh, first off, we need to go for a run at some point and I need to get some of those, uh, or I need to, I need to look at those, uh, carbon dude. fiber shoes. I'm looking at these shoes you have on right now. They're pretty legit. Dude, there's, you know what? Just like we were saying, every now and then there's something that's legit. And I, I so I got to tell you something, and I know, and I know we're going to end this thing. But so <laughs> my problem is, is that I need to have objective evidence. I can't just make it, oh, it feels fast. Right. So those shoes that I got, the, the Audi Zero shoe from Adidas, when, when I ran in them, I, I, like I got to do a test. And so what I did is I said, I'm going to do a 5k in my old shoes, rest five minutes and a 5k. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my heart rate up to 150. I'm going to keep my heart rate at 150 for the first one. And then I'm going to rec- and I'm gonna stay at 150 the whole time. And then I'm going to finish and then do the second one in my, the other shoes. Yeah. These, these Audi zero shoes. And the thing about it was, is that it took me a long time to get to 150, right? In the first one, because I was fresh. It, right. I got to 150 faster in my second one when I wore the Adidas shoes. My time in the second 5K was 27 seconds faster than my first. And your heart rate was the same. 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 And it shouldn't be that way with that much time on my feet afterwards. And it wasn't like I was running slow. I think I did them in like 21 and change. Like it wasn't slow. It was, I was moving. Keep in mind, 150 for me is decent. My, you know, my lactate threshold pace is 160. My max heart rate is 173. So it wasn't like I was going slow. I was moving. That is a incredible thing. And it's, and it's quantifiable. Right. It's like people may complain about it. Like that's not perfect, but it's like, no, no, no. It was almost 30 seconds faster in my second 5k at the same level of intensity based upon heart rate dude yeah you know i just hope that someone right now was training in their garage or on a long drive and they listen to this conversation i, I hope they enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed this so week. good this this is a lot of fun well chris i appreciate you as usual Thanks, Jay. i'm gonna hit up ashley let's go to grab some dinner huh dude so good thank you 